You're listening to the Wally Local History Podcast, researched, written, and narrated by Jean Lord. This episode is kindly sponsored by the Wally Local History Group. If you're enjoying listening to this podcast, please click to follow to ensure that you're notified of each new episode. History cast in stone. Wally Parish Church. A walk around the outside and graveyard. How often do visitors to a church spend time looking around the outside? Not many, I would guess. Yet much of the story is there to be seen. At first glance, you don't see it. But look closely and you can see the involvement of St Mary and all the saints at Worley, from the first white church under the lee, in stone, replacing one of wood through the 11th century to the 13th century stone church with a belfry. The raising of the walls, the insertion of windows, and the addition of the tower. We will walk around looking as we go. We start by entering through the gateway from the church lane at the east end of the churchyard, near to the beer and the charnel house in the corner. Entrances have been changed several times but initially it wasn't enclosed at all. In 1100, there were two shops in the churchyard, and two fairs a year were held. This was prior to 1409, when a writ from Henry IV decreed for certain considerations, whatever those might have been, two fairs were to be held in Clitheroe and prohibiting the fairs in the precincts of the abbey and monastery in Worley. A simple enough statement, but the wrangling behind the scenes for this to happen would have been enormous. Worley, being the mother church, was beginning to lose her grip on Clitheroe. This would have influenced the finances of the village, as people would have come from outlying villages to this fair, and hawkers would have sold their wares here now having to go to Clitheroe, a long trek in those days. Donkeys often roamed in the grounds. On our earliest maps, there were several cottages within the graveyard, with doors facing into the churchyard. And if you have been following my podcast, to Hermitage too. The east corner, that was the beer house, first purchase noted in 1666, for the coffins to be placed before a funeral. References also made to the charnel house, where bones which had been dug up from the graves were stored. A hearse house was built in 1767, and the charnel house was cleared out in 1784. All this going on in the corner where it still stands today, and no use for storage. Before this, no records tell us coffin or coffinless, but we do know a statute was passed in 1678 that bodies had to be wrapped in wool. This was to help the woolen industry, and a penalty of £5 applied to all to enforce this rule, except those who died of the plague. If you are researching your family and find burials marked naked, around this date, research further, as they may be plague victims or paupers. Roman coins were found by gravediggers from time to time, Vespasian, Constantine, Valentinian and Claudius Gothicus. 
These were put in an oak box made from the pulpit where Robert Noel Whittaker had preached and was presented to his daughter Lucy. The findings were attributed to the custom of putting a coin in the mouth of the corpse to pay its way to the afterlife, or as some speculate, that the first church was on the site of a Roman occupation. Before we turn to the church, look at the stones piled up in the corner near to the charnel house. Walk right into the corner if you dare, past the old studded door. What an interesting wall this is. Turn and look at the work on the slabs holding back the soil to the garden. It pains me to say tidying up goes on, making nice little walls, and losing what is sure to be stones from the old deanery. Walk alongside the tidy wall and see the carving on some of the stones. During some renovations at the shoulder of Mutton in the 1800s, parts of the old hall of the deanery were found. One octagonal stone pillar was found, and Reverend Robert Noel Whittaker was able to secure it for posterity. Where is it now? Maybe in the yard of the Delacy. Another carved stone was found, which was thought to come from the old church, and this was returned and placed in the south wall of the chancel, along with several other carved stone fragments. If you get the chance, go inside to look at the white-painted wall on the south side of the chancel to see these stones, and a piscina, credence table, and sedilia, and the trefoil arches, all 13th century. We now turn to the church itself, where we see the door to the vestry. Entrance is Saxon, with a rounded head and ancient ironwork. The two light windows next to it bearing the arms of John Taylor of Morton Hall, John Hargreaves of Wally Abbey, and the Reverend Robert Noel Whitaker, Vicar of Wally. Further along, the huge east window, you can see evidence of the work that has been done here. The 15th century window of perpendicular style replaced an earlier three lancet window. The shields and arms of all the families connected to the church by James Hall Miller of London was inserted in 1816, part restoration done in 1934. A full list of family shields is in the booklet inside the church. The buttresses below are 13th century and were untouched when the window was altered. Look behind to the sundial. Lots of movement on this listed monument. Church records say 1681, sundial erected. 1738, a sundial and stonework. 1773, dial, stone and steps by William Colthurst. Today the sundial is again changed and was presented in memory of Edmund William Davis. Mr. Davis was antique dealer in Wally, and his son Philip continues in his footsteps. Sundials seemed to go missing in Wally, as this monument had been without one for some time, and Wally Old Grammar School one also disappeared. Whilst we are looking at the graveyard, see the three stone crosses. I will describe them from the church records as being 10th and 11th century. 
but sometimes associated with Paulinus, Bishop of York, when he visited Worley, and his multitudinous, several thousand, baptisms in the River Calder on the south side of the churchyard. I have my doubts, several thousands from where, in this barren neck of the woods, in the year 600, teeming with wild animals, I think I will file it with the witch's donkings on the other side of the bridge, courtesy of William Harrison Ainsworth in his story of the Lancashire witches. I leave it to you to further research. However, everyone did not appreciate these crosses, especially John Webster of Clitheroe, headmaster of Clitheroe Grammar School and Puritan, who during rioting overturned them and threw them in a ditch. They were broken and scattered and even used as fence posts or gate posts. William Johnson, vicar, 1738-1776, had them restored and firmly fastened to where possible into their original bases. He also said no more burials in the vicinity to protect them. Notice the one on the eastern side, with an oblong base with a slot for another cross. The head is not the original, and mismatching has occurred on others. During war years, they were covered with sandbags to protect them against air raids. Imagine also this area, overrun by soldiers in the Civil War, with their ordnance aiming at the tower, where soldiers were defending the battlements, then fleeing along Riddings Lane and crossing to Lango Green and Dinkley, wading across the River Ribble at Hacking and onto Salisbury. To the south side of the church, you can see the early 13th century footprint. This would have taken years and would have been done in parts, as can be seen inside. The church would have been in use the whole time. I should mention here that in 1891, the church benefited greatly from an assessment and report of the whole building by J.T. Micklethwaite, late architect to the Dean and Chapter of Westminster Abbey. Although he was much impressed by the building, he does mention that builders of old, although having had good intentions, did much mischief, some irreparable, but some could be undone. Following his advice, a lot of restoration was done inside in 1909 and the churchyard was levelled and repaved. Step back and look up under the second window above the shrink course, you will see a pinkish stone with carving. There are differing opinions on this. Some say a fragment from crosses, some say original church, and some say the deanery. Whichever it is, it's certainly very old. Some fragments are inside built in the wall behind the bishop's chair including a piece from the deanery, which for clarification was on the site, now the De Lacey Arms, on the corner of Church Lane. The slab against the wall is old. You can see the name. I have researched this name, Margaret Stainton, in old registers, and the date is 1690, not 1600 BC, as someone scratched on. 
There is also another name at the bottom, surname of Yates. I think this could be Elizabeth Stainton, who married James Yates in 1677 and was buried in 1725, widow. See beneath the clock the shape of the church as it was then. There would have been a bell tower, as there are records of a bell presented in 1215. I quote, Thomas Talbot of Dinkley gave by solemn deed one bell in the steeple of Worley, called the Morning Bell, and was consecrated, unquote. This was to the Alba Ecclesia Subtus Lee, that is the white church under the Lee, the present church, 13th century, not having been started. The clock was originally recorded inside the building in 1636 and struck the hour. A new clock was erected outside in 1703, and in 1742, a new clock face of stone was cut. Clock replaced in 1819 by John Barnish of Rochdale, and that was renovated in 1897. The roof was reslated in 1836. Walk up the path to the chancel door. This is original, as is the ironwork. Unfortunately, the knocker is missing. This is not an entrance anymore, being covered on the other side. Whether or not it was a sanctuary door is debatable. Notice the small pieces of gravestones with the cross carved along the length on the left standing against the wall. Could these be coffin lids? On the six grave slabs of the 13th century along the path, now too worn to read. The porch was originally a wooden one and was replaced by a stone one in 1844, incorporating four scalloped capitals, imposts, and pillar bases remnants from the 11th century church. Two stone coffins lie before you now. One is more elaborate than the other, and may have had lids. Research tells me 11th or 12th century fashion. Notice a hole at the end. Drainage? It doesn't bear thinking about. The tower was built in 1440, which covered the existing west window, therefore shutting out some light. A larger arch window at the west of the tower and doorway installed. In the foundations, the large stone before you was found. Thought to be Roman, you can see the Lewis mark, a Roman method of lifting, although I don't think I would risk standing under it, whatever they used. There is another inside the church thought to be a Roman altar stone with a carved figure in relief. This is thought to be Mars, the Roman god. Go inside to look closely. It was at the back of the church north aisle last I saw. It is very impressive. Gaslighting was installed in 1869, inside and outside. The tower itself stands about 70 feet in height and houses eight bells, and a full list in booklet form is available for any interested party. Adding the tower left a vacancy between the buttresses, filled in later, 
and made it necessary to enlarge some windows to let in more light. Aisle windows were also installed in the 15th century. Look closely at gravestones in the pathways as you walk around the tower. On the north side are two dormer windows. The east end one dated 1695, the west end 1818. To the right, you can see evidence of earlier windows, altered to let in more light when renovations were done to the nave. A new north door by Jonas Brown in 1777 was replaced by the current one in 1911 with bullseye glass panelling. In 2009, the kitchen and disabled toilets were installed. This resulted in the porch area being extended. Slabs had to be taken up inside and out to enable this. Bones and skeletons were uncovered and pieces of bone mixed amongst the soil used for previous backfill. The document mentions that inside, when slabs were removed, a skull was found, wrapped in several pieces of cloth, with long hair still attached. Another coffin was found, which was filled with shavings but no skeleton, thought to be the work of body snatchers. We know this happened and was the reason graves had raised slabs like tabletops on pillars to make it more difficult. Nowadays, if there is any kind of renovation, whereby remains or archaeology may be disturbed, there must be a watching brief, especially on ancient listed buildings. This has not always been the case. And as entrances have been changed and pathways rerouted over hundreds of years, it is not surprising these finds occur. However, these ones were treated with all due reverence and either left in place, if possible, where they lay, or reinterred within the graveyard. The north side has been altered, as the south side was, with aisle windows, raised walls, on general maintenance. It is not inconceivable that alterations and replacement stonework from the time of the dissolution of the Abbey could have been reused from there, the Abbey grounds being like a quarry, hence the recycling of stone to many buildings throughout the area, especially after 1661, when the Abbey church was pulled down by the Ashtons to make gardens. There would have been massive amounts of elaborate stonework and tracery windows to dispose of. It is said this is the reason for the raised walkway along the outer wall, along the sands, which itself was built from the stone, and now covers piles of tracery windows and arches, and who knows what else. We should not ignore the enormous responsibility and diligence over hundreds of years of the vicars and church wardens to record all changes and additions to the fabric and furnishings of the parish church. A mighty task indeed. This now concludes our virtual walk around the outside of St Mary and all the saints, Worley. In reality, well worth a visit, when a look inside will be awe-inspiring. There are several booklets at the back of the church on the history, 
stained glass, misericords, and the bells, full of information, by Norman Thorpe, Eric Lockwood, Catherine Duckworth, and others who dedicate their time to this church. Many thanks to the booklets of those named above, and the hand list of Wally Church, John E. W. Wallace, a welcomer's notebook by Norman Thorpe, well worth a read, and the chance to spend several hours and days walking around the church and graveyard, where a closer look at the gravestones tells many other stories. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you want to know more, please go to Worley Local History, the Facebook group, and ask to join. And if you're in Worley or visiting Worley, please go to Worley Old Grammar School where we have a heritage room. In there you'll find lots of photos and information about Worley Local History. See you next time.